All right, girls, let's begin. We are continuing Emir Tashem in Parak Shira. All right, so we are continuing Emir Tashem this morning in Parak Shira. So we left off last time <coughs> focusing a bit on the definition of Simcha. And we spent a good amount of time trying to develop... Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right, so as I was saying, so we, sp- we started last time in Mirat Hashem focusing a little bit on our definition of Simcha. Girls, if I could have your attention, please. So we started focusing a little bit on our, our definition of Simcha, and we amassed, I think, a pretty robust list of the various pieces necessary in order to go ahead and achieve a working definition of Simcha, recognizing that often what we think will cause simcha or may cause episodic joy, but may not result in an ongoing or sustained level of life happiness. So to continue on that theme just a little bit, I want to share with you today what I think is an incredible idea by Rabbi Nachman. If you take a look at number six on your sheet. So the Rebbe writes as follows. He says, So just to give you the context a little bit over here, the Rebbe is commenting on a a Pasuk in Tehillim of Od Ma'at Ve'inenu Rasha, or Od Ma'at Ve'in Rasha is Lashon of the Pasuk. So Od Ma'at Ve'in Rasha, again, from a pure Tehillim perspective, is Dara talking about the Messianic era. That one of the hallmarks of the Messianic era is the fact that there won't be rishos, there won't be evil. Now, what exactly that means, or how that's going to manifest itself, not our topic for today. But David Amal says, Od ma'at ve'in Russia, a little bit more, or a little bit more until Mashiach comes and there won't be evil. So the Rebbe has an incredible different definition of this concept. And he writes as follows, this is in 6 Aleph. Va'avein, v'chin tzarech ha'adam limso gam ba'atzmo, ki Adam. All right, let me, let me actually take a step back. There's one piece I didn't include on here, which is actually good for, for introduction purposes. The concept of being done as kalha adam lekaf zichos. What does the concept mean? Have a done as kalha adam lekaf zichos. I'm sorry? What, meaning what? what? Okay, so but I'm saying, how does it play out exactly? Look at them for the good things versus seeing the negative. Good, what else? Yes. We don't understand the Right. So remember again, without getting complicated, when we speak about being down the kaf sechos, we generally assume it means as follows, which is I see someone doing something, and to me it looks like what they're doing is absolutely unequivocally wrong. But being down the kaf sechos means I don't know the whole picture. I don't know what's going on. So again, you could choose whatever example you want. You see someone walking into a non-kosher restaurant. So it looks strange, but you could also assume a person is going to use the restroom. A person is going to order a drink. Whatever it might be, there's a million different scenarios. So therefore, again, having done as kala adam lakaf suchos means that when you see something that looks questionable, so err on the side of positivity and ascribe good motivations to the life of, or to the actions of this individual. So Rabbi Nachman says, well, what happens if I see someone doing something and it's unequivocally wrong? It's unequivocally wrong, right? I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no two sides to it. I see someone doing something that is absolutely 1,000% wrong. What's my obligation in that moment? I'm sorry? How do I judge someone favorably in that moment? So it could be I don't know the whole picture, but if I see someone eating a piece of chazer, right? So th- th- maybe it's not chazer, maybe it's fake chazer. At, at a certain point in time, you know, you have to be down the kaf schos, not down the kaf shtos. So if somebody, no, if somebody is doing something wrong, so, yeah, so how do I deal with that? 
So it could be, I don't understand their background. I don't understand who they are. Maybe, maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know. Let's say they do know. Let's say you know their chinuch. I'm, I'm sorry? Okay, so that is, that is one approach. That one approach says, be down the kafsos doesn't apply in every single scenario. That when you see someone doing something unequivocally wrong, there is no obligation of being down the kafsos. Good, one possibility. Yes. Say that different. Don't judge others. Don't judge others who sin differently than you. That's great. That's great. Right? All of us have that area in which we are weak. So maybe you're saying the way to approach is this don't judge. Don't hurt. Make a case that you have to find the judgment. Sometimes you just have to let things be the way they are. That's between that person and Akadish Baruch. Good. Although, again, most of us are not like that. Right? Most of us, you know, the one thing that none of us like to admit is that we are all incredibly judgmental. Human beings are judgmental. When someone walks up to you, you and again, I apologize, I think maybe girls do this a bit more than boys, right? You get the look up and down, right? The look up and down, right? And you judge people just like that. You're going to judge people just like that. You know, I have, a, I have a, my, one of my, my, one of my daughters is 12th grade now, and so now it's seminary. And it's amazing to me to see the amount of identity that is associated with seminary. You'll excuse me, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. And it's such sheker. It's so false. I mean, going to seminary is a wonderful thing. Learning as well is a wonderful thing if it's for you. But that somehow it says, but yet you're, it, you would think, you would think your entire life is judged based on where your parents decide to spend $27,000. Like it's, it's, it, which is also ridiculous. But okay, that's a different discussion. But my, 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 my point just is, it's so foolish. You know, we like to say we're not judgmental. We're so judgmental. We're so judgmental. And the older you get, the worse. And Shiduchim, Shiduchim is all, up, the, the Shiduch system as it is, which is so sad, so sad. It's all judgments. It's all judgments, by the way. And it's all superficial judgments. All superficial judgments, right? And that, again, I say this to a group of girls, you know, th- th- that we've reached such a level of superficial judgment that people ask for pictures, pictures on a resume for a girl, which is the height of a lack of tznius, right? The whole, the whole time, tznius, 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 right? And now suddenly, again, a young man enters into shiduchim and it's permitted to ask for a girl's picture? I don't know. I'm not a Rosh Hashiva. I'm not a Posek. I'm a simple Jew. But to me, it sounds unequivocally usser. But that's just my opinion. In any event, so my, 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 my point just is, my point just is that we are so judgmental. So judgmental on every single level. And this is important, by the way, because it's important for us to recognize this. Because like we like to walk around like all Tamimists thinking like, no, we don't judge. We don't judge. We judge everyone in every moment, we put everybody into a box. We give everybody a label. We write people. Oh, this, is not, this one's not for me. This one's not for me. This one's not for this. Why? Oh, because they went to the, you don't even know the person. But yet again, so again, as, as much as what was just mentioned, I love that quote. What was it? Don't, don't judge someone else. Ty, what was it? Don't judge. Don't judge others who sin differently. It's great. The only problem is we never make it past the first two words, which is... Don't judge, right? So, so we still, so I still think you have to develop an approach. You have to develop an approach for how you deal with someone who you see is actively doing something wrong. Yes. Not trying to like, uh, if like we're not told not to judge, right? The puzzle doesn't say don't judge. It says judge favor. Like no, there's al tadines chaber chachategilim komo. That's not true. There are there are absolute injunctions against judging. There are. There's between a decision. Uh, that, thank you for that. By the way, that was good. Right? Right? There, there is a dis- there's a distinction between a decision and a judgment you make about someone else. Now you're right. Sometimes decisions require judgments. So if I'm going to take you as a business partner, I have to like judge. Like, are, are you honest? Are you this? So of course, there's some level of judgment that's always required. But there's a difference, I think, between making a judgment about someone in an episodic way for some utilitarian purpose versus standing in general judgment of a person. 
Do you hear that distinction? In other words, you're right. To make decisions, I have to judge. In other words, unless you're doing everything in life by yourself, if I'm going to make a decision about A, and A requires the participation of three people, I have to judge their character. I have to do a whole... I'm sorry? No, no, no. That is not Shadok. Let, let, me, let me be very clear. As a 25-year veteran of marriage, if there's one thing I know a little bit about is marriage. Not necessarily that I'm good at it, but I'm saying, but, but marriage... That, that, that's not. Shaduchim is ridiculous because what you're trying to go ahead and project is a whole lifetime of happiness and acquired dreams and shared values based on very silly, superficial, and shallow so metrics. Are we doing this now? Is, is, is what we're doing now? <laughs> All right. Let, let, me, let me do this. Let me do this. Okay. Good. How, how should people approach Shiduchim? I, I, okay, good. So we'll, we can spend two minutes or, or 35 minutes on, on, on this. So here's what I would say is, obviously, there has to be some type of basic checklist that goes into Shiduchim. But here's the issue. I'll tell you again, and I don't know how it is with girls, but I know that it's like this with boys. I'll use a seminary example. That a boy will say no to a Shiduch because of where a girl went to say, oh, she went there? That's not for me. That's not for me. I'm sure girls do it with boys' yeshiva, so I would imagine it, it works both ways. What that's doing is ignoring the individuality of a person. People make all kinds of decisions for all kinds of reasons. And at the end of the day, a person may make a decision which may land them in a particular direction or a particular place for a whole variety of circumstances that may be unknown to you. So a person, if you're asking me, like, what does Shidduchim have to do? I think, a per- again, a person has to definitely decide what kind of life they want or what kind of life they think they want. Because I want to tell you one thing. Whatever you think you want now, I guarantee you, I'll bet you a million dollars that your life is going to turn out to be something dramatically different. In a good way. In a good way. Because when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, you know nothing about anything. It's only, you know nothing. It's only, no, no, it, it, it's real. That, that's why, again, you have to be so careful about the metrics of your decision-making. So what goes into a proper shidduch, what I think is, you identify abamidos tobos. I'm talking for girls and boys. You know, you, if you want somebody, obviously, who's in clay kodesh, you want somebody, th- those are lifestyle decisions, which, of course, are incredibly important because they do have many different ramifications. But does it matter, per se, what, does it matter per se, a lot of the other bullet points that we attach to Shiduchim? Do, you know, people don't choose their families. People don't choose their families. So if someone's parents are divorced, does that puzzle them? Does that mean the person is not fit for good marriage because his, his or her parents made a decision? I, I, I don't think so. A person grew up a little bit more modern. A person grew up a little bit this. People don't choose their family circumstances. You have to look at the Gavra, not the Cheftza. And so much of the Shidduch system is reduced to paperwork. This is paperwork. There's a resume, there's a this, there's a that. You hit this box, this box, this box, this box. As if those boxes absolutely make any difference in terms of life. In my opinion, what you look for in a Shidduch are Midos Tovos and Bakshanos. If someone is a Mavakish in life, if someone is a Mavakish, a Mavakish in learning, a Mavakish in Parnasa, a Mavakish to be a successful individual, that is the trait for success. That is the trait for success. People, on the other hand, who are just lazy and apathetic and coast by, that's usually the traits for non-success. So I think you look for midos and you look for bakshanos. And if a person has those qualities, those are the qualities of successful individuals. That, that's what I think. And I know I'm oversimplifying and incredibly dramatically complicated, but again, I want to tell you, like, Change has, one thing is clear, which is the system is, but we don't have a shidduch crisis. People have to have a shidduch crisis. There's a people crisis. There's no shidduch crisis. There's a people crisis. We've become materialistic, shallow, and superficial. That, that's what's happened. And so you think about this, and that, that is a reality of the times we live in. We live in a time, Baruch Hashem, where we could afford to be these things. It was never like this for Kalal Yisrael. Why was there never a shidduch crisis for Kalal Yisrael beforehand? Like, why is a shidduch crisis now? You ever wonder about that? It's because there's unparalleled affluence. There's a lack of persecution, Baruch Hashem, which are both incredible brachas. So we have the ability to be shallow. 
We never had the ability to be shallow. Do you know I never had the ability to be shallow? Little things like pogroms, right? Or little things like institutionalized anti-Semitism or little things like poverty. We did not have the luxury of being shallow. Now we have a little bit more of the luxury. Now again, I feel bad talking about these things to this group because you probably have to play by the rules of the system because the system is the system and it's incredibly unfortunate. I, I think about these things a lot, not just because Baruch Hashem, I have six children and still five more to marry, but, but because I think it, 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 it hurts the people who are involved in it. It, it. it hurts, it hurts. I will just tell you like, when I hear people talk like, oh, this boy, he's got so many girls waiting for him. Like, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's meals. I'm not like a feminist, but I am offended for Jewish women when I hear them spoken about like a commodity, like a commodity. Oh, it's got so many girls. That sounds like Ahasuerus. That's what it sounds like. Great. So it's Ahasuerus. She has a whole harem of women waiting for him. It's so most. And it's so degrading and it's so inappropriate. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes girls get the, the short end of this stick in this process. But again, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't like talking about problems that I don't have a solution for. So I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. But sometimes in life, even if you don't have a solution, you at least have to be honest with the problem. And you have to at least be honest that, as they say, zelo normali, right? This, this is not the way Things should be. It might be the way it is, and it might be the way that it's going to be for some protracted amount of time. But at the end of the day, it's important sometimes to know in life, to, to have like your personal radar that's registered. No, not really right. Not really right. And I know sometimes when girls meet with Chad Hanum, you know, you're, you're pressured sometimes to go ahead and kind of toe a certain line where a girl feels compelled, you know, I have to marry a boy in learning. If you want to marry a boy in learning, fantastic. Fantastic. That's great. But you could be a wonderful Jewish person and raise a beautiful Jewish home even if you marry a boy with a parnasa. And a boy who's working, who's working, is not a failure. A boy who's working because he... Do you you know how many boys there are who are populating yeshivas who are doing absolutely nothing? Absolutely nothing. You know what they're waiting for? They're just waiting for you to come along, right? They're just waiting for you. So I just want to point out, and and again, these are things you can do. Because too many girls write off a boy who's working. Because well, what, what, what is a boy doing working when he's 24? Guess what? Not everybody is cut out to learn a whole day. And, and Klal Yisrael could not survive if everybody learned an entire day. Right? That's not the way it works. There are people who learn. There are people who work. And both are incredible Avdi Hashem. So you could exercise maturity. And if there's someone who you feel is Shaykh, but okay, he doesn't fit exactly the box. You don't have to say no to that. You don't have to say no. There are many, many, many incredible. I know many balabatim who are holier than many rabbonim. And many balabatim who are greater tamidei chachamim than many rabbonim. And many balabatim who are raising more erlich families than many rabbonim. It's yesh v'yesh in Klaal Yisrael. And never think for a moment that someone's chosen a path of Kiddusha or now oh, this person's successful and this person's... If we could just be honest about who we were, what we were, just like if a girl could be honest that she, maybe she wants to marry a boy who's working because maybe she doesn't want to struggle with a boy who's learning. Maybe she doesn't want to put the obligation of support upon her parents or upon someone else. It'd be so great if we could be honest about these conversations and actually talk like adults instead of having to go ahead and fit ourselves into a box. So look, you can't change the system necessarily, but you can absolutely choose your approach in different things. And you could be a little bit more open-minded. And even if people try to back you into a corner and say, well, you went here, you did this. So this is the kind of boy you're looking for. Who you marry is the most important decision you make in your life. The most important decision you make in your life. And it will chart your course. Again, whatever you want out of life, make sure the person you're going to marry is going to be able to give that to you and not just checking a box that you think you need to be checking. Okay. Anyway, back to Rabbi Nachman. Uh, back to, yes. I feel like if we have such, um, we don't have a lot of requirements that there's, you could like go out with anyone. It would be, it would be like, there, you know, they have to like make some sort of. Uh-huh. No, of course you can't. I'm not suggesting that a person should say yes to every shidduch that's read to them. You have to have certain criteria. Like I think, for example, it is totally normal for a person to say, for a person to say that. 
I want to marry a boy who's in Klei Kodesh. Now, I want a life like that. That's legitimate. I want to live in Eretz Yisrael. Those are, those are legitimate things. You could create metrics, but I think beyond like big level questions, I'll tell you on a personal level, when, when I got married, I'll tell you a little secret. When I got married, I was learning in Kolo, and then I got a very good job offer in accounting, auditing hedge funds. I took it. I worked in accounting for six months, for six or well, nine months. My wife thought that she, okay, she was married to an accountant. You could imagine her surprise, kind of like where we wound up, you know, 25, not exactly an accountant, right? A little bit of a, you don't know. But if you decide on the qualities you want in a person, that's okay. What, what, what more do you need? What more do you really need in life than someone who you feel is an incredible Balmidos Tovos, someone who is a Bal Achrayis, Bal Achrayis, because Achrayis is the most important thing. And of course, again, I'm not getting into things like attraction, which of course are incredibly important. And if anyone tries to tell you that it's not important, it's not true. But again, that's not, that's not for me to have a conversation with you. That I'm sure you have wonderful female mentors who could have that conversation with you. But again, but aside from that, everything else is a detail. And so often we get lost in the details. And they're just simply not important. So yes, you have to carve out for yourself, here is my like, Yeharik Valyavar. What are the things I need from the man I'm going to marry and build a life with? What are they going to be? What are they going to be? Great. And have that list. When you meet to the Shadchan, you're getting ready to Shidduch. Does, does this person meet my criteria? And if they do, fantastic. Fantastic. Does the criteria have to include, I only go out with guys who went to this yeshiva or the girls who went out to this seminary? To me, that's foolish. To me, that, that, that's very foolish, and, and it makes absolutely no sense. I'm sure that there are mediocre girls who go to the best seminaries, and I'm sure there are incredible girls who go to the, I don't know what the, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I had to call things B or C, whatever, to the less desirable places. And there are boys who go to Brisk, and they're the best in the world, and I'm sure there are boys who go to Brisk, and somehow they got in there because somebody made a donation, and whatever else it is, there's, there's, there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things. So you have to have your criteria, but then you have to make sure that your criteria is not shallow. That is legitimate. What are the qualities? And again, it's hard to know as a young woman what the qualities are necessary to build a successful marriage because you have no frame of reference with it. But you know, but I'm telling you, from a little bit more life experience than you, Midos is something you cannot compromise on. And Midos are hard to learn. You could, you could improve your Midos, but a person either has Midos or doesn't have Midos. And if they don't have Midos, they might have, they might have Alamilus. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And bakshanos, achrayas, these are midos. If a, if a young man who's getting ready to, to get married is not driven, driven whatever way, driven to be the biggest hamtachacham, driven to be the greatest rav, to be the greatest rebbe, if a person when they're getting married is not driven, that's dangerous. Because people who aren't driven have a difficult time being successful in life. Again, in whatever you want. It doesn't make it, whatever the career is, learning, the world, whatever it is, that midah of a balachrayis, who recognizes that even again, if his wife is going to work and support the family right now as they start out, but again, a, a man has to feel a sense of achrayis for his mishpacha. All right, uh, yes? Just a comment. I remember a mentor telling you one time, like when you're looking for a, a man to marry, you're not looking for someone who's going to marry other Beautifully said. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, as you'll see, you know, part of that's beautifully said. I, I think part of what's, you know, life is an adventure. Life is an adventure. And if when you're Zoha to get married and you start that adventure with someone, I'm going to tell you, like, you have no idea where it's going to take you. And that's exciting. That's okay. Everybody likes to have their life all planned out. We're going to get married. We're going to live in Lakewood for three years, right? No, but maybe we'll spend a year. We'll get a deer in Eretz Yisrael. We'll spend a year in Eretz Yisrael. We'll come back. Well, by then, we'll have 3.2 children. And then Eretz Hashem then. And we'll come here. We'll come there. And that's great. It, it's, no, it, it's beautiful to have a plan and to have a vision for what you want. 
But nine out of 10 times in life, the plan doesn't materialize as you think it's going to be. And I'll tell you something else. It does not materialize the way you think it's going to be. Usually it's better than what you thought it was going to be. But absolutely, if you find a life partner who's a Baal Midos Tovos, who appreciates you for who you are, is a Baal Achrayis, then ultimately, wherever life takes you, you're going to be great. So I, I know we've gone from a very complicated shidduch process to simplifying the entire shidduch process in 11 minutes. This has been an excellent class, Baruch Hashem. We've solved all the world. But again, I know that I'm simplifying a very complicated issue, but sometimes you could choose to decomplicate things. You make decisions, right? You're going to choose who you say yes to. You're going to choose who you say no to. If you say yes, make sure the person satisfies your basic criteria. And if you say no, make sure the person doesn't satisfy your basic criteria. But don't be shallow in the way you approach making one of the most important life decisions. Incredible, you sowed. Okay, so anyway, back to Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman writes as follows. So we're speaking about Simcha, in case you forgot. We are talking about Simcha. So the Rabbi tries to, okay, get down the kafskos. That's how we, how do we get into this? Right, judgments, judgments. How do we get into Shidduch? Okay, good. All right, good. Right, all about judgments. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, good. So, so, let's, so let's get back to this just a moment. So let's talk about just for a moment being down the kafschos in a general sense. So remember again, let's say I see someone doing something unequivocally wrong. Unequivocally wrong. So how do I deal with that? So okay, so we have a couple of different approaches so far. Number one, don't judge. Oh, this is how we got into it. Don't judge. So... As beautiful as that sounds, we all judge, and we all judge, this is how we got into it, we all judge all of the time, everybody based on every single metric. So what do I do according to, so what do I do if I see someone doing something unequivocally wrong? So how else can you address, how else can you address this? Good. So the truth is that's even based on the Gemara, based on the Rambam, right? In general, about the definition of a tzaddik versus Russia. That works well if what? So right, if, if he's a tzaddik. And it also works well if you know. Like, it's hard to know. Like, who do you know in life that you could judge based on what 51% of their actions are? Like, you'd have to be spending a lot of time with a person to be able to make that judgment call. But a good, on the right track, how else can you deal with it? Right, you could ask. You could ask. You definitely, because I see that you're eating chazer. You know, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm missing something. Is everything all right? You know, and you could, and you, you could do that. Although I think those conversations can be a little bit awkward also. You know, good. How else? Any other thoughts? How else? So I'll tell you what Rabbi Nachman suggests, which is really quite amazing. And to me, it's actually an incredible life lesson. The Rebbe says... Sometimes in life, you just have to accept the fact that people do things wrong, right? This is very important because not everything that a person does could be explained lekaf zichos. This is incredibly important. This is why I give you my example. You know, yes, if you see someone walking into a non-kosher restaurant, there's plenty of things that you can do in order to say, ah, it's really okay. The person's not doing anything wrong. And then there are other things in life where... It is what it is. It's wrong. It's usr. It's an avera. There is no positive way to go ahead and explain what it is that is unfolding. So what do you do now? This is what Rabbi Nachman says. And, and a little bit similar to what you're mentioning, the name of the Chafetz Chaim, the Rebbe says, don't judge a person in totality based on this one action. A little bit differently. What the Rebbe says is, human nature is, if I see you doing something wrong, how do I think of you? As an avarion. Wrong. That's what you do. So if someone were to ask me, I saw Reuven doing something wrong. What kind of guy is Reuven? Reuven's a sinner. Nebuch. Nebuch. I just saw him eating the chazer. Right? He's, he's a sinner. The way just the mind is conditioned is we glean or we create our impressions and feelings about people based on what we see them do right now. So the Rebbe says something amazing. Being down the kaf sometimes means ascribing some positive motivations or actions to what a person is doing, right? It may, again, I see them walking into the Trafe restaurant. They're not eating. They're getting a soda. They're using the restroom. Those are all motor things. But when you see someone doing something that is unequivocally wrong, don't allow that one act to completely color your perception of them. Rather, 
strive to see the person in their totality. While it is true that Reuven did something terribly wrong, at the end of the day, he also does other things right. And then the Rebbe says, strive to see something good in Reuven. After you saw something bad, now go out of your way to try to identify something good in Ruvain. Now what happens after you strive to achieve, to, try, to find something good in Ruvain? What happens? What's the result of that? What's the result? The result is you have a balanced perception of Ruvain. As opposed to just saying, seeing Ruvain through the prism of that one act, now I have a balanced perception of him. And now that I have a balanced perception, that's being done lekaf zuchos. So it turns out, according to Rabbi Nachman, being done lekaf zuchos really has two levels. Level one is where you could literally say that although it looks like what Ruvain did was bad, in fact, there is a mutter interpretation of his actions. Interpretation number two or approach number two is no. There's no mutter interpretation of Ruvain's actions. What he did was unequivocally wrong. But I'm not going to allow this one event to color my entire perception of Ruvain. Instead, I'm going to look for something positive so that I could establish a balanced perception of Ruvain. Rabbi Nachman's idea is, already comes out early in Rabbi Nachman. There's an incredible Pasuk in the Torah. The Pasuk says, Baser basada Right, so the Torah speaks about a very simple case. You find the trefa, which is an animal which is killed by another predatory animal. So I have a flock of sheep. I come out to my flock in the morning and I see that one of my sheep is dead, killed by a predatory animal. So the Torah says, what are you allowed to do with the trefa? You're not allowed to eat it, right? You can't eat it. So you can give it to the dog. What's the obvious question on the Pasuk? Right, why do, you, why do you have to bring in the dog? Who cares about the dog? And I, was, I could do whatever I want with that animal. Right? I could give it to my dog if I want to. I could also give it to my Gentile neighbor. I could sell it. I could use it for fuel. I could do anything I want with it except eat it. So why does the Torah have to go out of its way to say throw it to the dog? And the dasikin and ibalitosis say something. I'm telling you, it, it's literally life-altering. Literally life-altering. The dasikinim explain, they say, La Kelev. How do you translate the word La Kelev Tashlichon also? To the dog. Right? It could have said Le Kelev. Le Kelev means to a dog. La Kelev is the, is, the, is the definitive article. Right? So La Kelev. So to the dog. Which dog? Which dog? And the Dasikanim says it refers to the sheep dog. Now remember again, I'm sure you know from your extensive uh, experience in shepherding, right? So if you have a flock, you have a sheep dog, right? What's a sheep dog? A sheep dog is there to guard the flock, to, to chase away any predatory animals. If you have a trefa, if you have a dead animal in your flock, who didn't do their job? The sheep dog. And what does Torah Kedosha say? If you have a trefa, you should give the trefa to the sheep dog. What's the shot? So listen to what the Dasakinim says. It's true that your sheepdog failed. It's true. Your sheepdog failed. And your sheepdog failed terribly. As a result, there's a dead sheep. There's a dead sheep. But what about all of the other times that the sheepdog came through for you? What about all of the scars that the sheepdog has from all of its other battles with predatory animals? What about all of the other times that it fought tooth and nail to protect the flock? So the Dasikinim says, Tarak Dosha is telling us, that in the moment of the sheepdog's failure, reward it for all of the times it came through. Reward it for all of the good that it did. And what an incredible yisod. Because the Dasakinim says it's human nature that when someone or something fails you, in this particular case, the sheepdog fails me, it's normal to look at the sheepdog as a failure. But that's not fair. Because it failed in one moment, but it was successful in so many others. Basr basada trefalo sochidun lakelev to the sheepdog you have to give it to. And this is incredibly important, just as an aside, in general in relationships. Because this happens all the time in relationships. Someone who you're in a relationship with, whoever it is, wrongs you. Wrongs you. And you really feel hurt by that individual. And often that one act of wrong, that one wronging, could color the relationship in its entirety. In relationships in life, it is so person to see, it is so important to see a person in their totality.
in their totality, to see them as a whole. It's true. My friend, my spouse, my parent, my sibling, whoever it is, wronged me. But at the end of the day, there's so much good. I'm not going to allow my perception of you to be totally and fully colored by this one act. I have to look at you in your totality. Rabbi Nachman says, that's what it means to be dan lekaf zechos. To be dan lekaf zechos means that I go out of my way to see a person in their totality. I saw you do something wrong and it's unequivocally wrong. There's no way to explain it away. There's no positive possibility over here. You did something wrong. Well, how do I look at you in that moment? How do I look at you? Do I look at you as a sinner? So the, the totality of your personality is defined by the wrong thing you did know. The Rebbe says, you see someone do something wrong, now go out of your way to find something positive in that person as well. As such, you emerge with a balanced perception of the individual. It's true, I saw Ruvain do something wrong, but guess what, we all do things wrong. So the fact that Ruvain sinned, that's not a chiddish, I sin also. But now that I went out of my way to find something positive in Ruvain, to find something positive in him, at least it could maintain a balanced perception of Ruvain. That's what it means to be done. So now, the Rebbe number six picks up, after he speaks about this concept for others, he then begins to speak about this concept as it is applied to the self. And the Rebbe explains, This is incredibly important, perhaps one of the most famous statements of Rabbi Nachman. Mitzvah gedola lios besimchatamin. Right. So again, I do not think Rabbi Nachman had in mind that when you pull up to a red light in Eretz Yisrael, there's a van filled with Breslov Hasidim next to you that they're going to get out, you know, blare the music and start dancing. I don't know that that's what the Rebbe had in mind. I don't think it's a bad thing. But what does the Rebbe mean when he says mitzvah gedola lios besimchatamin? First of all, let me ask you this: Is it attainable to be besimchatamid? Right, so right, the Rebbe wouldn't say that if it wasn't attainable. To us, it sounds unattainable, but maybe the secret to its attainability is finding the right definition of simcha. Right, in other words, if I look at simcha as an emotional state of joy, happiness, no one's always happy. Right, no, no, no one really is able to maintain that level of positive emotionality all of the time. But maybe the Rebbe is operating with a different definition of simcha. That's what does simcha mean? So look what he writes. Now I'll just tell you something very interesting. Rabbi Nachman in general says that the greatest danger to an individual is not chait. The greatest personalistic danger, the Rabbi says, is atzvos, is sadness. It's such an incredible idea. Rabbi Nachman himself dealt with personal atzvos. He had times where just he was, he suffered from incredible sadness. Rabbi Nachman had a very difficult life. Remember, again, he died at the age of 39 from tuberculosis. He lost two children over the course of his short lifespan. Rabbi Nachman had a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty in his life, but he constantly writes about the need of, you can't fall into the grasp of atzvah, sadness. Or the Rebbe says a number of different things. For example, ein shum yeyush ba'olam klal. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. There is no yeyush. There's no yeyosh in the world. You can't be miyayish. You cannot give in to despair. You can't. So, the Rebbe, so this, just, just as an aside, it's very interesting. The Rebbe says, sin is not our greatest danger. For the simple reason, everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. But Baruch Hashem, there's the ability to do tshuva. There's the ability to rebound. There's the ability to come back. He says, atzvos, when a person allows themselves to feel sad. What happens when you feel sad? Generally, most of us, when you feel sad, what happens? No one here is ever sad. Baruch Hashem. So you're not productive. Why? You lose the will. Why? Because effectively you give up. You see, when a person falls into the grasp of sadness, now again, I want to point out, there is constructive sadness as well. There is such a concept. Where do we find constructive sadness? Tishvab. But in halacha, there's a category. What do you call constructive sadness? Avelos, good. What else? Right? We have constructive sadness, right? So says, I'm supposed to do certain things to engender and to elicit a feeling of sadness over the lack of a But I want to point out, why do we do things 
Oh, so remember, I want to point this out, it's incredibly important. We do Zeche Lechorban, ultimately, again, because I want to feel the sadness of what I lack in order to push myself to do more, daven harder. I don't want to live life anymore without a Beis HaMikdash. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to live with that void. So I mourn. I mourn for what I've lost, but the mourning is a catalyst, ultimately, again, to do something dynamic and productive. Same thing with Avelos. Why does a person sit Shiva? Why does a person sit Shiva? So mourn someone they lost. Okay, let me ask you this. But if I really believe in Olam Haba, is there a need to mourn? If I really believe in Olam Haba, I really believe that the Neshama of my loved one is Munachas Tachas Kisei Akava Tachas Kante Ashchina Alich Tegagan Eden Together with all the Neshama's passes, is there a need to mourn? So it could give kavod, excellent. One idea is it's a dinin kavod ames. A dinin A hundred percent. For a parent, exactly. That's why it's a form of kibod avayim. Excellent. So there's a form of kavod. Good. Why else? This is different, but you could still understand that they went somewhere better, but you're still mourning. Oh, so good. Could also very well be, I'm not mourning for the neshama. I'm mourning for me. I'm sad. Right. So, correct. It, but, but it's, by the way, it also tells you sometimes... You're allowed, see, we often, selfish is a bad word, but selfish in its etymological root means focused on the self is not always bad. A person has to be selfish at certain times, right? Again, if I, I can't be, you know what, I'm not eating anymore. I'm not eating anymore. It's not right. I'm going to save my food for the rest of the world. Okay, so we'd say it's good to be a little bit selfish. You should eat a little bit. So there's, there's healthy selfishness as well. Good. Why else do we mourn? Why else? Simplest idea that often goes totally unnoticed. The Gesher HaChaim, which is one of the authoritative svarim written on Hilchos Abelos, of Tukachinsky, writes as follows. He says, as, he says something absolutely amazing. He says, we often think of life as an infinite, renewable resource. How many of you have had things on your to-do list for more than a week? Good. How many have had it on more than, more than a month? More than two years? Okay, good. The courageous ones raise their hands, right? More than 10 years, right? Hey, so it's amazing. So why is it? Why do we procrastinate with things? Because deep down, we really believe that life is an infinite renewable resource. What I, there's not an urgency. What I don't get to today, I'll get to tomorrow. And what I don't get to tomorrow, I'll get to next month. And whatever's not next month, next year. Because we assume, we assume we're going to live until 120. We assume there's plenty of time. And whatever you don't get done this decade, you'll get done next decade. The Gesher Chaim writes, do you know how we sit Shiva? The whole you sort of availus, because he's bothered theologically. If I'm imam in Be'amun Shalema, that there's an Olam Haba, then why am I mourning? Why am I mourning? And the Gesher Chaim writes, the whole idea of Avelos is to go ahead and energize myself to live a more meaningful and impactful life. Because if I am sitting Shivrach Manalitzlan, I now realize, I now have to face the reality that life is a finite, non-renewable resource. And I know not how much time I have in this world. This is why Shalom Alech writes in Koheles. It's one of the strangest psukim. Shalom Alech writes, Tov leleches lebeis evel mileches lebeis mishta. It is better to go to a levaya. It's better to go to a shiva house than it is to go to a party. Now the truth is, if you have a friend who told you, you know what, no, 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 let's not go to the party. Let's go to the shiva house instead. Let's go to the, I heard, the, let's check Levinson's website. There's three levayas today. Incredible. Let's go. Let's go. What would you say? You would say, listen, here's the number of a good therapist, right? <laughs> you, you, you need a lot of help. That's not a, it's not a normal outlook. Yishlam Alech says, it's good. They look, it's Koheles. And when was Koheles written? In a very dark time of Shlom Alech's life. I mean, it's written after a dark time, but it's, it's reflecting on, right, the Gemara brings down the whole interaction with Ashmedai, Shlom Alech being displaced from his kingdom, not having anything. So you could say it was written, but, but yet it's, it's eternal Chachmah. Shlom Alech is the wisest of all men. Shlom Alech realized, you know what the power of going to Leviah is? Do, do you know, and again, unfortunately, I, I deal a lot with Leviahs, but to me, do you know what the most overwhelming sound in the world, the most overwhelming sound most overwhelming sound. It's the sound of the first shovel full of earth hitting against the top of an art of a casket. That is the sound of finality. 
when you hear that sound, when you hear that sound, that is the sound of, it's over. Now, it was over beforehand. The person passed away beforehand. They just had the levaya. The person's been, been, been the body's been laying, laying, in the, laying in the casket. But that sound of the earth coming down on the casket, that is the sound of finality. Shlomo HaMelech says, the, girls, the, Shlomo HaMelech says, the most important thing in life is the ability to go ahead and live life with a recognition that life is a finite, non-renewable resource. Because if you live life like that, you begin to see you procrastinate much less. And things don't stay on your to-do list for as long. Because I recognize that I don't know how much time. I, it, again, it's, it's, it does, it's, not like a, it's not like a fun thing to talk about. Because like we all, it's 120. But the truth is, no one knows anything in life. So therefore, Shalom says, that at the end of the day, if I live like, so now com- coming full circle, coming full circle. So, Rabbi, so when Rabbi Nachman says, mitzvah gidola lios besimcha tamid, tamid. So what does that mean? So obviously, if I define simcha as joy, as, as a state of emotional happiness, when we think about happiness, it's impossible. A person can't always be besimcha. But maybe simcha means something a little bit different. Remember, again, that's our focus here, right? The whole idea is we're trying to figure out, back to the Naharos, trying to figure out the Naharos are clapping, right? They're all excited. They're besimcha. Well, where does simcha come from? So let's just do one more line. Tukul Rabbi Nachman says in paragraph B. He says, second line, he says, I'm sorry. Back to the little paragraph, Aleph, excuse me. Right, so as we said before, a person has to set aside, cast away atzvus. Because in Rabbi Nachman's worldview, atzvus is even worse than chait. Chait is episodic. A person commits an avera, you could rebound from any avera. We spoke about this last class. You could rebound from anything. Atzvus, a person falls into the clutches of sadness, that could envelop you in a darkness from which you make, from which potentially you never emerge. So the rabbi says, sometimes a person looks inward and they begin to see that they're filled with sin. Sometimes I do a cheshbon and nefesh and I'm so unhappy with what I find. I'm so unhappy. I, I'm, I'm finding so much hate, so much negativity. And the Yitzhahara loves it when I'm down on myself. Why does the Yitzhahara love when I'm down on myself? Because if I'm down on myself, the truth is, it's so much easier to sin when you're unhappy with yourself. And it's so much easier not to engage in dynamic activity when you're unhappy with yourself. Therefore, says the Rebbe, So this is incredible. Rabbi Nachman writes, the same way that you have to be dan lekaf zuchos with the other. And remember again, according to the Rebbe, how are you dan lekaf zuchos with someone else? How do you do it? Remember according to the Rebbe, how do you do it? Find, accept the fact that they did something wrong. Don't define them by the wrong. Find something good in that person that you could see as well. So says Rabbi Nachman, what applies to the other applies to myself as well. There's sometimes, I do a cheshbon nefesh and I look internally and I'm unhappy with what I find. And sometimes when you're unhappy with what you find, it is easy to fall into the clutches of sadness. The Rebbe says, in that moment, again, one more time, Find something good inside of yourself. Because how could it be that in your entire life you've never done something positive? So isn't this incredible? And by the way, such a different way to look at yourself. The Rebbe says, in the aftermath of sin, sometimes I feel like a sinner. That's the way it works. I think we've all experienced this in different ways. I do something wrong and I'm so profoundly disappointed in myself. I feel about myself that I'm a chote. I'm a chote. The problem is, if that's the way I feel about myself, you know, most... Most people do not become better when they feel badly about themselves. That's just the way it works. It's the same way when you discipline a child. If you discipline a child and you make them feel worthless, they will not rebound. 
They will not rebound. The world is filled with children, who are made to feel worthless and grow up to be adults who feel worthless as well. If you want to discipline a child, you point out what they've done wrong, but then you simultaneously build them up. So the Rebbe says, if you look at yourself as a chote, chances are you won't rebound. You won't do tshuva, because why should you? You're a sinner. You're broken. You're nothing. But if you acknowledge the fact that you've sinned, but simultaneously find something good inside of yourself. What does that do when you find something good inside of yourself? What does that do? What does that do? It shows I'm not kulo sin. I'm not kulo hate. I'm not all bad. I'm not rotten through and through. Yeah, I have some challenges. I've got some serious problems that I need to work on. But there's so much good inside of me as well. And because there's so much good, That'll give me the koach and that'll give me the confidence to work through the issues. Yes? Uh, I agree with this. I just think. Oh, Baruch Hashem. God, I heard it Right. It's, it's true. So there are some people for whom failure spurs them to action. I, I, if I had to guess, I think most of us don't actually work that way. And that's why, like the Mishnah says, Mishnah Pirkei us, you know, Avera Goreres Avera. What does that mean? Everyone wonder about that? What does that mean, Avera Goreres Avera? What does that mean? Right, because I think, well, I agree with you that I think there are some people like what you're describing. I think most of us kind of define ourselves by the last thing we did. And if I sinned, okay, I'm a sinner. Uh, this, this is what I do. This is, I know how to do it. I'm, I'm good at it. I enjoy it. So, Avera Goreres Avera. And by the way, it, the, the converse works as well. That's why it's Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. So you're right. For some people, a life downfall could say, okay, I could do better than this. But I think for many people, the life downfall kind of leaves them down in the mud. But therefore, the Rebbe says, in that moment of downfall, Find something positive. Find something good. Realize and articulate the good you possess within so that you maintain a balanced sense of self. So we'll stop over here for today. We'll continue Mirat Hashem with today from the Rebbe and Mirat Hashem on Monday. Good morning. Good. I need to take a time to say something.